This episode is brought to you by The Athlete's Foot. Welcome to The Wrap, a weekly podcast covering women's sports news. Bez, what have we got around the grounds this week? Aussie Paralympian Madison Di Rosario wins the London Marathon in a sprint finish. That was epic. So good. Like a second between them. I know we're not meant to talk about it yet, but I'm talking about it. It was so good. Continuing, defending world champ Molly O'Callaghan claims the 100-metre, 200-metre double at the National Swimming Champs. And (laughs) this is my favourite story of the week, the Scottish marathon runner that caught a ride in a car midway through the race. I can't stop laughing at that one. I shouldn't laugh because it's so not okay, but I think her excuses that we will get to just keep making me laugh. I just keep thinking about all the things that I could win if I used a motorised vehicle. (laughs) I'd say a lot of things. (laughs) Don't worry, I've started to think about it. There's a plan in place. For the key story, we'll discuss Kate Campbell's powerful plea to end online abuse. My name is Chloe Dalton, uh, and I'm joined every week on the show by my co-host, Bez, who's across all things women's sport, TFAP researcher and women's rugby. Bez, today we are celebrating the 100th episode of The Wrap. We should be raising the bat, but we're not together. Do you have a bat? I don't. Yeah, I know. We've gone, we've gone remote as you've just recovered from round two of the spicy cough. I do have, funnily enough, I've got my, um, my rat's 100th cap here. That kind of works. I should probably wear it. I think you probably should wear it for the whole episode. (laughs) So how many games did you play? This is for the Warringah Rats, Up the Mighty Rats, our local uh, rugby club, which is where Bez and I first met when I started playing rugby and she was coaching there. We're going much down memory lane here. Yes. We are. How many games did you play in total for the Rats? I played 167. I've probably coached more, but 167 according to the board down at Rat Park. Amazing. Yeah. It's a bit bit dusty, but yeah, 100. Are you gonna are you gonna wear it? No, I look like a little you know what with it on my head. <laughs> um, hey, we wanted to celebrate celebrate by giving away three buy one hundred dollar gift vouchers for RTFAT merch for the first three people who listen. I love the six AM listeners who are onto it from the very beginning. First three listeners, flick us a message on Instagram at the female athlete project and say rap one hundred. And you, if you're one of the first three, show me the merch. We'll send you a gift voucher. And if you don't, I don't know for what a reason you don't use Instagram, just send us an email, hello at thefemaleathleteproject.com. And if you're one of the first three, we'll hook you up. How good. Happy 100. Oh, and just quickly, if you are listening to this podcast on Tuesday, we just want to acknowledge it is Anzac Day today and a huge heartfelt thank you to service women and men past and present. Um, it's a very solemn day, Anzac Day, and something that, um, yeah, I hope that we all continue to learn from. Let's take a look around the grounds. In the London Marathon, Bez, you touched on it in the intro. This was, man, this was a cool finish. So on Sunday night, our time, Madison Di Rosario won her second London Marathon, adding to the trophy she won in 2018. The finish was breathtaking with Di Rosario sprinting to the line to beat defending champion Manuela Shah of Switzerland by just one second in the women's wheelchair race. Di Rosario was competing less than a week after she finished second in the Boston Marathon and finished in a time of one hour, 38 minutes and 51 seconds. After the race, she paid tribute to the quality of the field saying, 
that was an intimidating field to be a part of. You look around and you see these three women you're pushing with and thinking these are the best athletes in the world. Kat DeBrunner won this race last year in a course record. Manuel has been dominant for such a long time and Susanna's come off the back winning Boston by five minutes. So to win a sprint from them was amazing. Um, one of the most awesome things from the footage that I've seen out of the marathon though is when Madison and Manuel across the line and just instantly reach for each other. So cool. Isn't it cool that that's their first reaction? Just really, really got me in the feels this morning. In football, Sydney FC and Melbourne Victory looked like they were heading to extra time in their preliminary final on Saturday, but in the 89th minute, the Sky Blues finally found a way past impressive victory keeper Casey Dumont. Striker Madison Haley pounced on a rare handling error from Dumont and poked the ball home to seal a 1-0 win and cement a spot in the grand final for Sydney FC. It was a pretty cruel way for Dumont to give up a goal as she'd been She'd repelled pretty much every other attack that had come her way. Sydney FC, again, dominant. They had 23 shots to victories, four, with Courtney Vine and goalscorer Haley constant threats throughout the match. Um, Sydney captain Natalie Tobin told Paramount Plus after the win, we all started to get in our heads the grand final two years ago and what happened then. But as soon as Maddie put that one away, oh, my God, a huge sigh of relief. Um, so Sydney are now just one win away from claiming that A-League Women Premiership Championship double and we'll be hoping that they can get the job done in what will be their sixth straight grand final. It's a pretty impressive record from the Sky Blues. They will have to get past Chloe's favourite team, Western United, who beat them 1-0 in the semifinal just two weeks ago. Uh, Western United were thought, like, they were given little chance in their first season to make the top four, let alone finish second and then qualify for the GF. Um, they'll obviously be relying pretty heavily on American striker and league's golden boot winner, Hannah Keane, to be accurate in front of goal next week if they are going to upset the super consistent Sydney FC again for the second time in two weeks. I'm, I'm all about the Sky Blues. I'm so torn because, of course, I'm Sky Blue. Like, I have been my whole life, but I just love an underdog so much. And I love I, – I think what I do love is, as I've said every week about the doco, I just love that it's such a powerful story. And I think, I think moments like this are great ways for people to get on board with women's sport. In rugby league, Harvey Norman, New South Wales women's premiership semifinals were played on Sunday and minor premiers North Sydney Bears were upset by the Mounties team at Leichhardt Oval. Mounties played an impressive first half and jumped out to a 12-4 halftime lead against the fancy Bears team that contains international players Racine McGregor, Kira Dibb, Sarah Togatuki and Jess Surges. With quality like that in the team, they were always going to make a comeback. And although they scored two quick tries late in the match, it wasn't enough to get the win, with Mounties finishing 18 to 16 victors. Togatuki said after the match, very heartbroken. But you know what? Mounties had a plan and came out and executed it. We had so many opportunities. We were just unlucky. So that's on us. We beat ourselves in that game. In the other semi-final, the Canterbury-Bankstown Bulldogs earned their grand final spot with a tough 16-8 win over the Illawarra Steelers. The game was very evenly poised at halftime with the players heading to the sheds at 4-all. The Bulldogs lost props Holly Wheeler and Angelina Tia Karanga Katoa in the second half but showed real grit and fight to win the game with only 15 fit players available. Mona Lisa Soliola scored in the 38th and 59th minute and was huge for the Dogs, proving a handful to bring down every time she touched the ball. Mounties and the Bulldogs will battle for the Premiership on Saturday at Leichhardt Oval. Kickoff, 
6 p.m. In surfing, the Margaret River Pro has seen the surfers compete in some really epic waves. Um, and when the surfing stopped for the day on Sunday, we were left with two Aussie semi-finalists. But sadly, some excellent surfers suffering the dreaded mid-season cut. The top 10 was decided after the quarterfinals with Sally Fitzgibbons missing the cut for a second straight season after bowing out to American Caroline Marks in the quarters. <laughs> it has to be said that only having 10 women proceed to the back half of the season it seems to be really brutal, especially given the men's cut sees their tour reduced to 22 surfers. Um, they obviously, for each tournament stop, they have two wild cards, so it turns into 12 women, 24 men. It's twice, twice as many opportunities for the male surfers, which is disappointing. The cut has been met with criticism from some of the world's best surfers, and there's been some robust debate around that cut with WSL Chief Eric Logan confirming that there would be changes next season. He told the Sydney Morning Herald, once we get through 2023, 2024 is an Olympic year. That's a good opportunity to evaluate what's working and what's not. And I think it's fair to assume that we as a league will make refinements to these formats. We're always talking to our surface about ways to enhance the competitive arena, how we think about the finals formats and also the mid-year cuts. Lucy Small, the longboarder who uh, has done a lot to campaign in surfing, in particular around a gender equality piece, has been calling out um, a lot of this. I think surfing, uh, WSL in particular, have done an amazing job in the gender equality piece, but I think formats like this are probably pretty key in the opportunity piece. We know the equal pay for the equal prize money is a huge component of that, but I think limiting the opportunities for the number of female surfers to continually compete at the top level probably doesn't help the continued development of the sport. Yeah, absolutely agree. So as we said, Aussie surfers Sally Fitzgibbon, Isabella Nichols, Macy Callahan, and Sophie McCulloch will all now return to the Challenger Series and hope they can pick up one of those two wildcard spots offered at each of the CT events remaining. It just also limits them having time surfing the best waves, which is what the, what the championship, the World Championship Tour provides. Back to Margaret River, Tyler Wright is still in contention for the title. It was a Tyler-Steph quarterfinal, which just makes me sad every time. I know, you don't want them to face off so early. It's horrible. So she'll face Caroline Marks in the semi and local surfer Bronte McCauley is in the other semi against Chris and Moore. No surfing today, Monday, and it looks wild and woolly for the rest of the week. I'm not sure when they're going to squeeze the last kind of day of competition in, but I think at the moment it's about 18-foot faces with some nasty onshore winds, so might, we might be waiting a while. Um, the condensed tour will then next stop head to Kelly Slater Surf Ranch in California, which is at the end of May. And, again, the great Kelly Slater, he's also suffered the mid-season cut, so 51-year-old goat of surfing, let's be real. <laughs> he is the goat of surfing. Um, we'll also have to rely on wild cards for the rest of the um, rest of the tour. It's quite an odd thing for a sporting um, organisation to do, I think. In ultramarathon, Scottish runner Josia Zakrowski collected the bronze medal for finishing third in the Great Britain Ultras Manchester to Liverpool 80-kilometre race earlier this month. But late last week, was stripped of the third place when it was discovered that she used a vehicle for part of the route. Data from her tracking device showed she used a car for a four-kilometre stretch of the race. Race director Wayne Drinkwater told the BBC, having reviewed the data from her race tracking system, GPX data 
statements provided from our event team, other competitors, and from the participant herself, we can confirm that a runner has now been disqualified from the event, having taken vehicle transport during part of the route. So she's a 47-year-old GP who lives in Sydney, and she told the BBC her actions were not malicious, but rather she had accepted a lift from a friend to the next checkpoint to tell the marshal she was pulling out of the race as she was unwell. When she got to the checkpoint, she said the marshals told her, you will hate yourself if you stop. So she agreed to carry on in a non-competitive way and then (laughs) said she made a massive error by accepting a medal and trophy at the end of the race, but was jet lagged after flying from Australia to the UK the night before. She said, I hold my hands up. I should have handed them back and had not had pictures done, but I was feeling unwell and spaced out and not thinking clearly. Bez, you've you've travelled overseas a lot. Have you ever (laughs) cheated in an ultra marathon because of jet lag the next day? I would like to know. Weirdly, I haven't. I've done some pretty (laughs) questionable things after getting off a long-haul flight. There's no... I love the whole, don't you love the getting off the long haul flight in the morning of that local time and thinking, all right, we've got to stay up, we've got to get on local time. Next thing you know, it's 24 hours later, you're still in the pub and you've missed local time. <laughs> That's happened to me. You you're an ultra marathon drinker, aren't you? Yes. I want to ask you, friend, if we like just spitballing here, what kind of sports can we win and by throwing in some kind of motorised craft and what kind of motorised craft would you use? Yeah, that's a great question. I think you could go in a cycling race, you could sub in an electric bike. You'd have to make it quite streamlined, but I think that's a pretty plenty of those, pretty great one. Plenty of those around at the moment burning down people's garages. Yes, there are. What about a Segway in a, a race walking race? That's good. I'd like to just segue past people. Or perhaps a boat in an open water swim. Yeah. Or a kayak in an open water swim. Well, no, kayak's too hard. It's got to have a motor. (laughs) Yeah. That's too much manual labour. What a ridiculous suggestion. (laughs) Anyway, what what a time. I just, you know, I read that article. There was obviously a bit in the media about it and it made me happy. I'm like, you know what? If I was running 80 kilometres, I would absolutely get in a car. Yeah, I think. I think you and I would. I I don't imagine that her other competitors probably laughed a huge amount at this one. I'm just imagining them following TFAP and and raging at us laughing about this situation. True. Apologies (laughs) to all those ultra marathon runners. We respect you. Question your sanity, but do respect you. In rugby union, (laughs) the last round of the Super W was played on the weekend and on Friday night the Waratahs defeated a physical Melbourne Rebels side at 29-0 to finish a regular season undefeated. The Rebels were led well by impressive skipper Ash Masters but just couldn't match the skill and experience of the team from New South Wales. Tatum Bird was really good in her first start at halfback for the year and it was awesome to see Bathurst speed start Jacinta Windsor open up and score her first Super W try from a good 60 metres out. It was a great try. I love that we call it. we call her Tina. Tina got this look on her face like after she kind of swerved and it was like, oh, I'm going to score here, and she got real angry. It was great. Loved it. Sorry, she got real angry. Then when she realised she was going to score, she got real happy. (laughs) In game two, uh, that was a knockout match effectively one week early when the ACT Brumbies travelled west to face the Western Force. It was a win and you're in situation, and the Force never recovered from a poor first half, unfortunately. 
The Brumbies raced to a really big early lead and held on to secure a 45-27 victory that locked them into third spot and a semi-final position. On Sunday, the Queensland Reds hosted Fijiana Drua and the home side would dominate in a seven tries to four, 45-22 win. So the semifinals will now see first place New South Wales Waratahs play Fijiana Drua and second place Queensland Reds battle the ACT Brumbies. Both matches will be at Concord Oval on Sunday with the first match kicking off at 1pm and the winner of each will head to the big dance. Go the Tars. Go the Tars. Go the Tars. In swimming, the Australian swimming champs in the Gold Coast were swum last week and Kate Campbell's plans to compete at the Paris 2024 Olympics have taken a bit of a hit after finishing equal fifth in a star-studded women's 100-metre freestyle final. Paris would be Campbell's fifth Olympic Games and after the race she confirmed that she will not contest the World Aquatics Championships in Fukuoka later this year, regardless of how she performs at the trials in June. She said after the race, Paris is the end goal. I'm doing everything in my power to be fit and ready to perform at my absolute best because it will be the last time I get in a swimming pool. I have this deep sense of knowing that working towards Paris is going to be the last time that I put together an Olympic preparation, that I will compete for my country if I qualify. Defending World and Commonwealth Games champion Molly O'Callaghan in 52.63, set the fastest time registered so far this year on her way to clinching the national title after narrowly out-touching training partner Shana Jack. In an impressive showing of depth, Olympic champion Emma McKeon in 53.22 was forced to settle for third. It's pretty crazy the level of talent in that distance, isn't it? It is a red hot group of women that swim really fast. No motors required. <laughs> no cheating required from them. No, they've got their own internal engines, those ladies. <laughs> O'Callaghan competed the 100 metre, 200 metre double when she beat Olympic champion Ariane Titmus right at the death. Her winning time of 155.15 was quick with only Canadian star Summer McIntosh and American great Katie Ledecky having gone faster this year. In some more football, on Saturday night, Chelsea hosted Barcelona in front of over 27,000 people at Stamford Bridge for the first leg of the Champions League semifinals. Caroline Graham Hansen's early strike saw Barcelona take a slim 1-0 lead that they held on to for the rest of the match, much to my disgust on the couch with COVID. Chelsea responded well to the early setback and had a goal turned down after an offside call against Sam Kerr in the 25th minute. And they, I think they probably got stuck a bit trying to defend. Um, they continued to kind of float balls up to Sam Kerr from midfield and the tactic just didn't, it just failed to really work, I guess, at the end of the day. Um, so Barcelona kind of weathered that, that comeback and then in the second half again was super impressive. The match did end 1-0 and Chelsea now face a huge challenge to progress to the final. They'll have to play Barcelona at a packed new camp on Thursday to try and steal that tie and make the final. On Sunday night, Arsenal travelled to Germany to face Wolfsburg in leg one of their semi-final series. Steph Catley was back in Arsenal's starting lineup after recovering from injury and helped trigger an amazing fight back in the two-all draw. The Gunners were down 2-0 after just 25 minutes and it looked pretty bleak for the team. But just before halftime, Steph did what Steph does best, threading a pinpoint corner to the back post that resulted in Brazilian 
Raphael Souza heading home. Steph's kiss. Steph's kiss. The second half was a battle in the 69th minute. Stina Blackstenius earned Arsenal the unlikely draw when she found the back of the net. So that draw set up a super exciting return leg at Arsenal's Emirates Stadium on May 1st. And the club has already said they've sold 46,000 tickets already for the match, which will be a record for a British game in the Women's Champion League. So if you're in London and you haven't got a ticket yet, get on board. Also wanted to touch, I don't think we talked about it this week in the research, but we saw Leah Williamson go down with an ACL injury and there's been a lot of discussion in the UK about the number of ACL injuries in female footballers and I think a real demand for further research into the area. Yeah, I agree. We shared with each other her Instagram post, which I thought was just really heartfelt and classy, I guess for want of a better word. But, yeah, it is just one of many a long list of ACL injuries that we're starting to see more and more of. And absolutely, there needs to be some more research done into, I guess, why, but also how we prevent and how we can look, sorry, not necessarily prevent, but try to prevent um, them happening because they are just such a brutal injury that takes so long to get back from. This episode is brought to you by The Athlete's Foot, proudly supporting women in sport since 1976. Start every game on the right foot with the right fit. Get fitted in store today or online at theathletesfoot.com for netball, football, running and recovery. Now that's fit. Let's take a look at the key story. Before we jump into this one, I just wanted to give a quick trigger warning that there is discussion of sexual assault. So in some kind of online bullying news, I guess, just over a week ago, four-time Olympian Kate Campbell released an article on Insight Sport, which is a new women and gender diverse sports editorial series owned by News Corp. In that article, Campbell outlines a long list of personal attacks that she has experienced during her career, both in person and online. She honestly states that her online profile has had a huge impact on her mental health, writing, I've had the worst things I've thought about myself confirmed by thousands of people served back to me in comments, tweets, and DMs. A study by World Athletics released in November 2021 after analysing social media during the Tokyo 2020 Olympics revealed disturbing levels of abuse of athletes, including sexist, racist, transphobic, and homophobic posts and unfounded doping accusations. It also unequivocally highlights the greater levels of abuse female athletes receive in comparison to their male counterparts. That study stated that female athletes received 87% of all abuse during the Tokyo 2020 Olympics. 87%. That number is quite disgusting. It's absolutely confronting and tragic, really. Campbell notes in her article that many people's solution to the online vitriol that's thrown her way is just to get off social media. And I think what I really loved about Campbell addressing this in the article is this discussion around the fact that for a lot of female athletes, they can't get off social media because it's a huge source of income for them. I think what we've seen a lot of time with male athletes is because they do get a huge amount of media coverage, they almost automatically gain following, not by having to engage with their audience and consistently post and do sponsored brand posts because the the clubs and the foundations and the media and all of these Um, sources of information 
build the men's profiles for them without them having to do a lot. And that's not saying there's a lot of um, great male athletes that do it, do a really great job of engaging with their followers and fans on social media, but by default, they've got this really great foundation. So I think Kate's point around female, a lot of female athletes can't just get offline because then they might not be able to afford to compete in their sport a lot of the time. So I think it's, I think it's really important to note that it's actually not the solution. And regardless of the the fact of whether they're earning an income from social media or not, it shouldn't be the solution. It should not be the people who are the victims of social abuse who are the ones who are having to get off. It's, that's simply not the right answer. Yeah, we're, you're effectively victim blaming if you're saying get off social media. It's that same thing. Don't walk home late at night by yourself. Don't wear short skirts. Like um, it's it's so tiresome. It's done. It's over. Stop blaming victims. It's not okay. Yeah, I totally agree. I think I've – So Campbell – said in the article, well, she kind of finished it with a plea for people to consider the person behind the player, saying that behind each iconic sporting moment you get to enjoy is a person, not an athlete, a person, a person who has worked and sacrificed, a person who has pushed the limits of human capabilities, a person who has inevitably won and lost and yet does not let the losses define them. It was a really great article. If you haven't read it, seek it out. Campbell speaks so well about it. Unfortunately, only days later, she spoke to Channel 9 and detailed a really frightening experience just after she released that article. She told 9, I had a scary experience just the other day. I released an article talking about the online abuse that I had received, and that night I received a phone call at 1am. The caller left a message saying that if I didn't pick up the effing phone, they were going to effing rape me. I think that experience isn't unique to me. It's not unique to many female figures online and the scary thing is how threatened I felt about it and that my personal safety was in danger. Campbell noted in that interview that the prevalence and type of use directed at female athletes was different to that experience by male athletes. I don't think it's this isn't a whataboutism kind of argument. It's We understand that both male and female athletes are targeted just as much by trolls and people on, online, but I think Kate spoke really well. She said, I'm not saying the online abuse is unique to females. I know that we have seen some horrific racial abuse leveled in the NRL and AFL, but I think the nature of the abuse when it is directed at females is much more predatory and feels a lot more threatening because by nature we are a bit more vulnerable. And like you said before, Chloe, I think one of the biggest things is there's such a, a small number of female athletes that have broken through that kind of ceiling where they receive the coverage and the exposure, and they have the profile purely because of their athletic achievements. So many more female athletes have to sell a different part of themselves or, you know, have a more rounded approach to gaining that exposure than a male athlete does. A male athlete can just genuinely be good at his craft and become famous whereas and, and earn a good living, whereas a female athlete oftentimes has to have more strings to their bow, so to speak. Yeah, I think... On that discussion, I find that one a really interesting one, the level of surprise that people often have for female athletes, as you say, being well-rounded. And I think a lot of the time it's because they have to. Like I think when I tell people I don't currently work as a physio but I'm a qualified physio and I talk about the fact that I have a physio degree but then I also love doing work in the media and doing keynote presentations and doing all of these things, I've actually had to expand my skill set so that I can make enough of an income outside of a part-time football career. Like I, I love doing those things, but it's it's also a necessity. And I think people are so surprised when it's something that I do, but I don't think the correlation is made between the fact that 
you can't really make a living unless you add more strings to your bow a lot of the time as a female athlete. Yeah, absolutely. You're the busiest human that I know. And it's, and it's, you know, I, we see it firsthand through TFAP as well, what those people online say and how it can make you feel. I mean, you've, you've shared some stuff with me that's really upset you in the past. And it's just, as Kate said, I just wish that people were better and understood that on the end of that social media profile where someone's really just trying to make a living and tell their story is another human being. And, yeah, I mean, how do how do some of those comments make you feel that you, we sometimes get on our social pages? Yeah. Um, I, I often feel torn and I was actually messaging Sam Squires, who's an incredible journalist, uh, just the other day about a post that she put up talking about Live Golf and the fact that Live Golf is actually a space just for men. There's no women included in this new really lucrative tournament. And, and she was discussing some of the abuse that she copped. And it's this really tricky balance a lot of the time where I want to sometimes go to war and I want to sometimes argue with them and prove them wrong and provide data and statistics. And then there's other times when I read it and I just feel exhausted and sometimes quite sickened by it and just really disheartened. And it's, um, it sometimes gets to that point where you don't have the energy to argue back and then they think that they've won the argument and they think you don't have anything to come back with. And that's almost this hard sense of just having to be okay that you can't win every battle and you can't convince that small percentage of people that are going to hold those beliefs no matter what you say. Really well said, friend. Thank you. Let's take a look at what to watch. The A-League Women's Grand Final is on Sunday. Kickoff is 4 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time. And Sydney FC will be looking to add that grand final trophy to the Premier's plate. Newcomers, Western United, will be looking to cap off a fairy tale season. It's going to be great. If you can't get out to Combank Stadium in Parramatta, make sure you tune in. It'll be live on 10 Bold and Paramount Plus. In Suncorp Super Netball Saturday, we'll see the Sydney Derby between the Swifts and the Giants be played at Ken Rosewall Arena. The match will be a cracker and starts at 7 p.m. AEST. You can watch live on Foxtel and KO Freebies. Go the Giants. Go the Giants. Don't miss. <laughs> don't miss Super W semi-finals. As we said, this Sunday, top four will face off for a spot in the GF. The back-to-back semis we played at Concord Oval with the first match between the Mighty Waratahs and Fijiana Drew kicking off at 1 p.m. You can watch live on Sand Sport or, even better, be there with some blue on. In Rugby League, the Harvey Norman New South Wales Women's Premiership Grand Final will, will be played between the Canterbury Bankstown Bulldogs and the Mounties this Saturday. The match will be at Leichhardt Oval and kickoff is 6pm. You can tune in live on the New South Wales Rugby League Facebook page. Happy 100, friend. I would like to take this opportunity to thank you for your time and effort and passion and drive and all things TFAP that you bring to the world and all of our amazing followers and just a big hug for everyone today. Feel it. A big hug for everyone. Thank you, Freyand, for that, for that um, acknowledgement and a massive thank you to you for everything that you do to allow this podcast to be put together and in people's ears every Tuesday morning and to our incredible team behind the scenes at TFAP, Bailey, Riley, Georgia. Kate, PT Penny, Stinger, everyone who makes TFAP what it is. Thank you so much for all your help and thank you to all of you who tune in and support our mission. See you next week. 
Bye, friend. Bye.